This is the future of motorsport. When we talk about a sport that that can be exciting, sustainable, deliver a message, you know, within the entertainment, this is what we are. And this is our ninth year, really. So it's about cool cars. We've launched our new car, which is fast. You know, 40% of the energy is through braking, you know, regeneration. It is a powertrain on wheels, really. And we race in cities because we want to show, we want it to be sustainable. We're not building big, big tracks and stuff. You know, we go... In Hyderabad, we raced right in the center of Hyderabad on the roads. Yes, it blocked traffic for three, four hours, but it's for a good reason, right? Showing electric cars can go fast, they can provide entertainment, and, you know, they're just getting better and better. G'day, guys. Coming up on the show today is Arti Dabas. Arti is the Chief Media Officer of Formula E. Arti has a range of epic experiences at organisations such as the ICC, where she spent 12 years and was head of media rights, broadcast and digital for six of those. There's lots to look forward to today, including her journey in media and broadcast in sport, an overview of what Formula E includes and some key skills you need to work in sports broadcasting. Let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sport, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the SportsGrade podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. I'm Ryan Walker and joining me is the big formula guy, Ruben Williams. We are two mates who met at Cricket Australia and each week we learn how people made it in sports and tease out some of their career decisions, work habits, skills and everything they do to make themselves great. Also, you can learn how to get in, get promoted and get thriving in the sports industry. The big formula guy, Rubes. How are you, mate? Good, good. I'm well, thank you, Ryan. Formulas. I don't mind an Excel spreadsheet. I don't mind the Formula One racing as well, which um, <laughs> I, I would love to be able to say, what a great weekend at the Formula One. Yeah, how good. <laughs> this is going out on the Monday after the Formula One. We've just had an epic four days setting up our stall at the Grand Prix. <laughs> well done to the driver and, and the winning team. But yeah. this is all pre-recorded. We don't know what's happened. So I, I, you know, we can't say, we can't yeah. comment on the result as much as we'd like to. We can't say with any confidence who's won the race. But uh, if you were going to have a guess, and this is interesting because someone's run, someone has won the race, mm. who are you tipping? Because we're recording this pretty close mm. to the race. I, I want Fernando Alonso to win. Yeah. I want the old boy to get The old timer. Yep, yep. I think everyone's going for him at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. It's just nice. It is nice. And thank you to everyone who came to our stall over the weekend. It was lovely to yeah. see your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, reckon, I reckon back in the day we, when our podcast was like early, early days and we mm. were still, you know, figuring all this out. Recording from the bedroom. Yeah, that all that. Yeah. I reckon we probably did a couple of AFL grand finals and we're like, what a game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the game hadn't run yet. So. Yeah. We had to think about, okay, what should we be saying? Yeah. The next day? <laughs> I think everyone's kind of. You know, with podcasting, I reckon everyone's kind of got to the point where they understand that they're not recording on the on the dot, on the, the mm. day after or something like that. So yeah. I think everyone's got a bit of acceptance, yeah, which is handy. Thank you for your, uh, you know. Acceptance. Acceptance, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Well, uh, big episode. So let, let's get cracking. If you haven't already, follow us on LinkedIn. And if you want to connect with us and hundreds of others, working in sport, become a member of the SportsGrad community. Rubes, what is happening in the community at the moment? Because it's been absolutely popping off as of late. Oh, it is going off. And these updates are in real time. These aren't um, fabricated. Yeah, they're not delayed. <laughs> yeah. Um, what have we got? Ankita Karanguleka has just got an epic role. Listen to this. Mm. Social media producer for the Mumbai Indians in the IPL, Whoa. which is just outstanding. That's almost in the, the job hall of fame in terms of I members who've got jobs. Be. It'd have to be. Uh, who else is there? Uh, Nichela Shamar. She's just got a job at Cricket New South Wales. Now, let me read you out a message that she sent to me. And this is this is like the, the best part of our jobs is that when people get a job, they call their partner first and then they message us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so this is this is um, this is a message that uh, Nichela sent to us. Um, hey, Ruben, I remember going to my first networking event last year and wanting to connect with the people at Cricket New South Wales because my goal is to work in grassroots sports when I graduate uni. 
thanks to the sports grad jobs portal i actually ended up getting a job with them so thank you very much for your help nice amazing well done to you Nichello. well deserved glad to see that you've come to uh the meetups cricket new south wales always have a big presence at the sydney meetup great friend of the show mm. and great friend of the community as well so mm. yeah if you're looking to get an in to cricket new south wales i mean they're always present so mm. yeah speaking of people who uh you know call us when they get a new job brant hubber he called us immediately after he got his job as a partnerships coordinator at the afl well Brand, you deserve another shout out because you've just been made a permanent fixture of the AFL. So well done to you, Brant. I think uh, he's gone through three max term contracts at the AFL. And, you know, it it can be pretty Mm. anxiety inducing knowing, oh, I'm only on an eight month contract or I've already got 12 months and then it's done. It's like, what what do I do after that? So for Brant to have that, you know, Confidence uh, and stability, knowing he's got a full-time job at the AFL in partnerships, this is just amazing. So well done to you, Brant. Well-deserved. 100%. 100%. A few events coming up. We've got Clayton Henderson from the podcast who was on uh, a few weeks ago. He's coming in to chat about how he got his first full-time job. Then we're chatting about grassroots sports and the opportunities you can create for yourself in there. We've then got a job fair, inviting a lot of the organizations who post jobs on our job board to, uh, to come in. And then uh, after that, we have got uh, the speed networking night coming up as well, where we are going to introduce people to uh, other people in the in the community, so you can get to know them quickly. But um, for those who are looking for a job, here's a couple of just come up on our job board. We've got basketball Victoria with a school competitions coordinator. Melbourne Victory have posted a membership team leader role. Uh, Urban Rec have just jumped on with a few mm. different roles too. So. National Marketing Coordinator, Sports League Manager, and then this is my favourite one, Kojo. Kojo, an outstanding yep. organisation who involved in event prayers. So if you're up in Brisbane, they are looking for a production slash admin intern. So yeah. a few roles to look out for. And one other I mentioned is that um, NX Sports, they've just come up on mm. board on the job board and they've got some event crew for their tour to Brisbane. Oh, so yes. anybody who loves large-scale events, road races, whatnot, uh, that is a great sort of taste of the industry. So I definitely recommend getting in touch with them. Amazing. Uh, a lot to keep up to date with. A lot of jobs, mm. a lot of podcasts, a lot of wins. If you want to get all that in a nice, tidy little email every Friday, subscribe to our newsletter. Head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter and you won't miss out on a job opportunity, a win or an event ever if you do so. Amazing. Lots to look forward to. Enjoy this episode with Artie DeBass. There's a reason Deakin's sports management course attracts the greatest talent the nation has to offer. Because when you join the longest running sports management course in Australia, you'll gain access to unique opportunities with leading clubs and organisations. Their partnerships with the Geelong Footy Club, Deakin Melbourne Boomers and Netball Victoria and multiple elite industry partners will open the door to exciting placement experiences that connect you with the best athletes, managers and administrators in sport. Help shape the future of the sports industry secure your part in the golden decade of sport. Artie, welcome to the Sports Grab podcast. Thank you. Great to hear some Australian accent again. Don't get many of them in the world of <laughs> Formula E. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you enjoy it. Often uh, we get caught out by how strong our accent is. I know that we talk to a lot of international students and uh, we don't think we have much of an accent, but then we get asked to repeat ourselves quite often. So yep. I'm glad you enjoy it at least. <laughs> no, I like it because it reminds me of the Aussie domination, then India beating Australia and the men's uh, quarterfinal, which was like my favorite all-time event. So, you know, there's a bit of history there. I like the Aussie accent. Amazing. Well, we might get to your favorite sporty moment in a sec, but um, to kick things off, I wanted to ask um, uh, about a time when you weren't working. Now, our podcast is all about working, but there, I believe after doing a bit of uh, scrolling through LinkedIn, um, there's a five-month period in your life between, I think, Jan 2020 to May 2020 when you decided to resign from 12 years at the ICC and take a bit of a sabbatical, reassess things, even practice yoga, if I'm not mistaken. And then all of a sudden COVID hits and all of a sudden, you know, jobs in sport are extremely hard to, to come by. And I would just love to know, to start things off, like what was that period 
like for you? Was there any thought of, oh my God, what have, what have I done now that's harder than ever to get a job? Were you still happy with that? You know, what was that period like? I mean, it wasn't planned. It happened. And uh, honestly, it was probably the most stressful period of my life because I'm used to earning my own money since I was 18. You know, financial independence is really important. It's not like I'd run out of money suddenly, but there's always this thing about, okay, where's the next job going to come from? What's going to happen? And it's not about you don't have faith in your abilities. You know, it's about like, it's at that point, uncertainty strikes. And, you know, before when you have a job, I think it's easier to find a job. It's in my head, maybe, you know. But um, especially for my generation, I'm 45 now, you know, that job security matters. I see a lot of people in my team right now, like they can switch off, you know, they can quit for two months and they are, they are easy. And I, I really admire that. I talk to them about how do they do that, manage that. But it was stressful for me. I did the yoga course because I was just so used to doing stuff. Plus, I'd said, if I get the time, I'm going to do this. And I said, OK, now I really have to do it because I've been talking about it so much. So I had to like... Um, walk the talk so I, I enjoyed it but it was stressful till I got the other job I had a few options and yes I got a job in the midst of COVID um, but yeah here I am almost three years at Formula E so, so were you planning on being a practicing yoga instructor at one point never never I mean honestly <laughs> like uh, it's more for my own discipline because um, I think if I was a yoga instructor, I wouldn't be very calm and patient. You know, I'd be like, why can't you do this? And actually, to be fair, I'm not very flexible myself. You know, there's this thing that comes with yoga training. But it was more for the yoga, they say, is 5% the physical part and 95% the spiritual. And for me, I'm, I don't know, from a young age, maybe it's my Indian roots and, you know, Indian background. I'm quite a spiritual person. So I enjoyed that side, learning about life and how you look at it and, you know, how your body interacts with your mind. For me, that was the key uh, reason I did the yoga teacher training. Nice. Whereabouts in India is your family from? Well, my, we're from Delhi, like our village is in Delhi. You know, the village is called Sultanpur Dabas. So my surname is actually attached to my village. Uh, but my dad was in the army, so he moved all over. I was born... Uh, I'm sure lots of cricket fans have heard of the place. I was born in this little town in Kanpur, which I have no recollection of. My dad was posted there. It's got a stadium called the Green Park Stadium, where I believe there was an India-South Africa match. There was somebody sitting in the front with a gun in there. You know, so it's a, it used to be called the Wild West, but it's it's come along now. I haven't, I don't have any memories. It was six months. Then I went to Pune, uh, which a lot of people have heard of because cricket is played there as well. And then, yeah, all over Bombay and final years of schooling and university, Delhi. Then I went to Bombay for my post-graduation. And then I worked in Delhi again with IMGTWI, which was sort of like my first proper job. Nice. Amazing. I've just spent three weeks in India at the start of this year. And with the majority spent down in, in Kerala, near the backwaters of Alapi, and then went up to Bombay for a week as well. And um was uh, blown away by the sensory overload that India gives you when, when you're there. But, um, yeah, cool to hear about some of your experiences. No, I, I mean, I, I went back. Now we, we had a race in Hyderabad. They went back to India after three and a half years. And I realized how much I'd missed it, just the energy and, and the chaos. You know, it sort of it energizes you and it makes you want to do things. You know, when in life, it's not like things are very comfortable now. I miss my old days. You know, I was talking to my mum Somebody sent me, a, you know, there's a, there's a program on Netflix right now, Corruption or something or whatever, which is about uh, the story. And somebody sent me a clip of me sitting over there back as a journalist at the back of the room, you know, it is. And I was, I actually just went and watched that. And I remember that press conference, Kapil Dave's press conference, was he was, he was feisty. It was in 2000. And I was just thinking, where has time gone? I really enjoyed those days, you know, uh, journalists presenting sports uh, coverage, you know, producing sports coverage. And uh, now I'm on the sort of like, not the boring side, but, you know, you deal with people problems every day, <laughs> budgeting issues. Like. So, uh, no, it's been quite a journey and I don't regret any bit of it, actually, when I was thinking about it yesterday. Oh, Brilliant. Artie, we usually start our episodes with uh, some quick-fire questions so that our audience can get to know you a little better. So I might start off, and I think you might have mentioned it there, but tell us about that full-time, your first full-time job. Sorry, your first ever job. Let's go yeah. real back, right back. My first ever job was actually, I was, I was in India, basically, you don't know where, where you'll get a job, right? So I was doing my graduation in journalism, but I was doing this 
hardware computing course at the same time and I had those classes in the morning journalism and then after my second year I think it was just after my second year it's a three-year graduation course I started working with Indian Express this newspaper in India and I went and met the editor and he was like what do you want to do I said work on sports he's like why he's like you're not going to get any bylines like you know like it's like cricket's gone whatever I said I just want to like work so I used to go and cover these satellite tennis tournaments all over Delhi. I've covered chess. I've covered boxing. Once, basically, I turned up at work at 9 a.m. and I had to change two buses, public transport, to get there. It was like an hour and a half away and it was like in the middle of summer, you know. And, uh, and whoever's used public transport in Delhi will let you know it's not a very pleasant experience. They're crowded buses, you know, lots of men all around. So I caught the train know, in Mumbai and that was... It was like going to a theme park. You're on a roller coaster. You're trying to bustle for positions. It was amazing. Everyone should try it once, I think. Yeah. So I think uh, uh, that's that's what taught me how to be feisty in life. You know, it helped me in my sports career, generally working with men. But um, it was, I landed up one morning and they're like, oh, there is this uh, mortuary. Can you go over there and cover? There's like dead bodies strewn around and there's not proper. And I'm like, but I'm a sports reporter. They're like, you're just a reporter. And that's how I got my first byline. It wasn't sports. It was basically how the administration had failed in their work. And I went to this place. There was stench. I probably threw up after that, you know, with this photographer. But I got my first byline in the local Delhi paper. I mean, they had a local edition, front page, bottom. And I was like, wow. And then I used to just write side stories, you know, in India. As a sports reporter, you don't get cricket if you haven't worked for years and years and years. But, um, I mean, I did a lot of tennis, as I said, wrestling, sometimes hockey, boxing, just writing side stories about, uh, and they used to pay me like 100 rupees a column or something like that. Like, uh, but it was cool. It was cool. It was, it was a grind when I look back at it. I'm like, how did I do it? But it was, uh, it was good fun. Amazing. Well, you answer my next quick fire question, which is what did you study at uni? Uh, so what's your favorite sporting moment? My favorite sporting moment, I just realized you said quick fire and I'm taking like 10 minutes to answer a question, but uh, I actually have three, but um, can I say three of them? Like, can I? Like, it's all cricket. Yeah, sure. Oh, for it. It's like uh, my first tournament at the ICC when I joined the ICC June 2007 was the first T20 World Cup and everybody had written it off, like the Indian BCC had written it off saying, you know, what is this? We'd rather play T- T10 cricket. And guess what? India won. You've rushed six sixes. You see that at the back? Those are like the photos that's of each of you Raj's oh, yeah. and he's a good mate of mine now so it's like you know at the ICC wow. you're, you're told to choose your favorite moment and they actually put it in a photograph so when I was there this was mine it was on the wall and they gave it to me when I left so it was quite cool it was that oh, one that's and that's gift. what to be fair that event is why IPL was born you know so it was actually it, it was quite a mark if India hadn't won I don't know what would have happened second was uh, in my home country witnessing the 2011 World Cup men's World Cup win that was quite special just going through each of the matches with India and just seeing where it got to. And I knew a lot of the players, so I felt like I was part of it, although I did nothing apart from, like, run the ICC (laughs) side. But it just felt like, you know, it was my victory. And the final one was, you know, women's cricket is very close to my heart. I worked a lot internally within the ICC with member boards to drive it forward, more coverage, DRS introduced, more matches on TV. And the 2017 World Cup, I remember it was three months before that we went to the board and we said we have to cover all matches and we had to present a business case. And to be fair, it was unanimously approved. So we got like three months ago, it was 10 matches. And, you know, then it suddenly changed to all matches. And that World Cup was historical because you had Lords full and MCC had told us no way it's going to be full. So there were a lot of challenges we overcame. And I think for me, that was a turning point for women's cricket in general. India making the final, you know, commercialization started. And then what happened at the T20 World Cup final in Melbourne was something else. Mm. Yeah, we were there. That was unbelievable. Yeah. Mm. Uh, what's your favorite interview question to ask candidates? Actually, I did one yesterday. And uh, I think my favorite question is, and it's, it's interesting the answers you get is, if I were to go to one of your ex-colleagues or teammates, what would they say your strengths are and what areas can you improve? And generally, people come out with strengths like bang, bang, bang. And with improvements, you know, unless you're self-aware, you don't know how to articulate it. So for me, that's like a good question to ask. How do people perceive you in your previous job or wherever you were, you know? Love it. 
And what's one or bo- one book or podcast you'd recommend that's helped you at work? You know, like it's, I did this exec education program uh, from Harvard Business School, which for me was a game changer, by the way. Like it was the best thing I ever did. I did 2011 and then I did one module after my daughter was born a year later, 2016. Uh, it's by one of the professors who actually wrote about disruptive innovation, but the class he gave was more about how will you measure your life? And he uses business principles to talk about the life. And I tend to read this book every year in January because it has a different meaning to me. And it's an easy book. I mean, I read it like it's a podcast as well. It's How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. I highly recommend it. And every year it throws up different answers. It's, it's an amazing book. I love that. I love the ritual mm-hmm. that you've got around it too. Yeah. How Will You Measure Your Life? I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, are you associated with any grassroots sporting clubs? You know, in India, oh, at least when I was there, when I was growing up, you didn't really play sport. You just studied and studied and studied. So, uh, and my dad was in the army. So it didn't, I mean, I was, um, I was trying to think, I'm probably now more into my daughter's stuff. Like she plays cricket for the Rajasthan Royals Academy here. They're the only girls team. Uh, and they were in the under nine league and they were all boys team and they made it to the final. They topped the league, they lost in the final, but it's like a bunch of, you know, eight, nine girls. And because of them, another girls team is starting. So I'm really into that. And she does a bit of diving and swimming, but I don't know how to swim or dive, so I'm a bit embarrassed about that. But yeah, cricket, like her <laughs> cricket club, like I fully support that. That's amazing that she's oh. in the academy. Well yeah. done to her. Um, and last one, if you had 30 minutes to pick the brain of anybody, who would it be? I quite like inspiring women, like, you know, like from different walks of life. Uh, I love Serena Williams, and I know there are people who talk. I just love that from where she's come and what she's got to. And Michelle Obama for a different reason, because people just look at her as a wife of Barack Obama, but I think she's far more than that. And what she did when she was first lady, not everybody's achieved, right? Like, so my point is when you get an opportunity in life, it's up to you what you make of it. And she made something of it, you know? Uh, so that's why I think I would like to, yeah, I would like to ask them um, about their life and choices and, you know, how especially Michelle Obama navigated having children and all that, you know, because for me, it's like every day is a struggle, even with one daughter. So, <laughs> oh, Very good. Very good. That was a really comprehensive quick fire questions. I love it. I mean, I think you should change it to slow fire. <laughs> I was... <laughs> <laughs> Slow fire, in-depth questions. In-depth fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, we touched on it a little bit there, but um, can you walk us through some of the, you know, the qualifications and jobs and experiences that you had that, that's led you to your current role? You know, many people have asked me because when I started out, actually even journalism wasn't big in India. Like it was like looked down upon. Like my, I, my grandfather said, you would carry like, you know, one of those um, cloth bags and you'd go around and, you know, whatever. So I was actually, ours was the first course of journalism in Delhi University. It, they had just started it. And um, we didn't, even TV had just come into India. In 1990, explosion of satellite television happened. You know, that's when I started watching prime sports. You know, I, I really got into sports. I, when I think I was 15 or 16 is when it, I used to watch earlier, like, but it was only on the national television what they showed, you know, Adur Darshan. So we got, um, um, but I think like, there wasn't any specialist sports management education, you know, so everybody, all my friends who are now running sports channels in India, broadcast houses, media, nobody had formal education in sports management. You know, I met with a friend of mine a couple of days ago, three days ago. He's a founder of FanCode. And, you know, we were talking because we joined TWIG at the same time. One of my friends is the CEO of Delhi Capitals. None of us had like formal training, right? Like it's, uh, we just joined at that time. And we made a career out of it. And now it's become huge in India. You know, I have people calling me, which is quite encouraging that sports is an option and not just playing sports, you know, actually working in sports, whether it's broadcast, media, management, there are so many options. So for me, it was through a journalist degree, as I said, journalism, mass communication. And I think I quite like the fact that I've got into the administration and revenue and digital side through a content route, because I understand how content is made. There are many people who don't come through the content route. They come through different routes. But having worked through how content is made, I think it's easier for me to sell the content as well, you know, because you understand how you can change things, what adds value, what is storytelling, what do fans want? Because ultimately, everybody in sports is in the business of fan engagement and audience growth. Like 
that leads to revenue growth. So if somebody says my job is revenue growth, well, it comes from fan growth and audience growth. You know, so you've got to get those things right. And those things happen when you create engaging stories and content, which is why Netflix has been popular, which is why the Amazon series have been popular or even TikTok or, you know, short form. It is all about the content you create that drives value, audience revenue eventually. Awesome. So tell us a bit about Formula E. For people who have never heard of it before and don't know how it operates and uh, um, or what goes on, introduce us to Formula E and what, that, what that's like. Yeah. Can you imagine going from cricket to motorsport? It was like a... Phew, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially for me, I'm quite an outsider because motorsport in India is not big at all. Like we've had a couple of racers um, and it's more, I would say, Australia, you've got supercars, you know, so it's, uh, I guess in Australia, there's a market. We have a broadcaster there anyways, um, in Nine and Stan. But I think for me, um, Formula E was not just a motorsport for me it was what formula e stands for you know it was built in a purpose the sport was built in a purpose which is sustainability and we talk about climate change and sustainability and why that's important so this is the future of motorsport where the people i know i mean i like watching formula one occasionally don't get me wrong but when we talk about a sport that that can be exciting sustainable deliver a message you know within the entertainment this is what we are and this is our ninth year really so it's about cool cars we've launched a new car which is fast you know 40 percent of the energy is through braking you know regeneration like it is it is a powertrain on wheels really and we race in cities because we want to show we want it to be sustainable we're not building big big tracks and stuff you know we go in hyderabad we race right in the center of hyderabad on the roads Yes, it blocked traffic for three, four hours, but it's for a good reason, right? Showing electric cars can go fast, they can provide entertainment, and, you know, they're just getting better and better. So the other thing is, you know, sustainability is not about just environment, like it's about leaving better futures. And for me, especially since I've had my daughter, I think about what impact or what world will I leave for her? So I think this job, I've taken her to a few races, by the way, she's now a Formula E fan. She loves it. She knows the cars and the tracks and drivers, you know, which is quite cool. But she did ask me, mom, why aren't women racing? So that's the next thing. And, you know, we have discussed internally at some point, like that has to happen, right? Like it's, it's a given. And I think if there's one sport, and I know there's talk about G-force and stuff, if there's one for, uh, sport where the same technology can be given to, you know, same platform, I think it's motorsport, right? Exactly the same platform. And let's see how they fare. The fact is they haven't had enough practice. You know, this is what happens. Um, I'm talking a bit too much, but you know, like I can see now that I have an eight-year-old daughter where the changes start to happen. It's about giving them confidence when they're early that they can do whatever. And this is what boys are given that confidence, you know, from a very early age, taking risks not worrying too much about, you know, where they are, you know, safety, whatever. Whereas girls are held back, say, you know. So you just have to let them go and then realize that in certain sports, yes, there are biological factors, 100%. But in certain sports, if from a young age, um, you know, they're given that confidence and the environment, how will they fare against the men? I think it would be pretty similar. And I know in Australia, like women's cricket has taken off. I was talking to one of my ex-colleagues and he actually teaches sports management at Deakin now. And he was telling me how, you know, women's cricket is huge. And this started not now. Cricket Australia started this work, I mean, in 2005, I remember, or something, you know. So it's taken years to get here. So people have to believe in it, the investment and stuff. But I'm digressing. I was talking about Formula E. But I was saying, (laughs) for me, anything I do in life, you know, has to have a meaning now. You know, even when ICC, my job was like, I love cricket. But can I use cricket to change lives of people was what actually satisfied me yes the revenue helped big deals billion dollars whatever is great but ultimately in life and this is comes from the book if you read the book you'll know there are two reasons to do a job i'm gonna get it now yeah Yeah, it's it's an amazing book i was gonna say f amazing but i stopped myself you know it's there are two uh, reasons it's hygiene factors and motivators right hygiene factors you take a job is money all that stuff but motivators and when you find the right combination of the two motivators is how it aligns with your passion and purpose because then you don't feel a job is a job right like you're working towards something and I think for me it's really important I'm really incredibly lucky with the opportunities I've got that I work in sport you know because I've had friends who are accountants bankers who earn far more than I do but when they look at me they're like wow you've got such a cool job you know it's (laughs) like so 
I, yeah, there are moments when I'm like, oh my God, you know, uh, I need more money or whatever. But, you know, I think I'm really, really lucky to have got where I am. Considering I'm from India as a woman, you know, I sometimes I pinch myself that how did I get here? That's amazing. Mm. I think it's really cool to learn about Formula E and how it's such a purpose-driven organization because I think that's so important when people enter the sports industry and think about how they're going to make an impact and where they can do that too. So to know that there are um, organizations or sports created for a specific purpose, not just because Mm. we want to have fun, it's actually we want to change the way the world's run at the same time, Um, and technology and the, you know, I guess, later inception of that to allow that to happen. To know that those options are out there is um, amazing for people who are thinking about working in this space. You should come. You should come to a race. I mean, I know Australia is keen to have us, but we have to find the right time. But you should come to one of our races. Mm. I'd love to. Where, like, where, where do they go around the world? How yeah. many? How many times a year is it? Well, so this year, I mean, today I should have been in Sao Paulo, but I had some visa issues, so I couldn't go. But being an Indian, you need a visa for every place, you know. So uh, we started in Mexico. Then we went to Saudi, Diria, which is like where Saudi started from. So it's a historical city, you know, UNESCO site. Uh, then we went to, I'm just trying to think, then we went to Hyderabad, which is India, first race in India, which was amazing for me, you know, like, uh, then we went to Cape Town, first race in Cape Town. Now we are in Brazil, first race in Brazil ever. Uh, then we go to Berlin, where we race regularly. From Berlin, we go to uh, I'm trying to think, is it Monaco? Yes, we go to Monaco where we race regularly because we are about street racing. You know, we are mm. not about big tracks. Our cars are smaller, lighter. Mm. So a typical Formula E race in Monaco, like two years ago, we had about 63 overtakes. Whereas a similar race, Formula One on those tracks, you can see it's a procession. I don't know whether you follow sport because whoever is at top yeah. of the grid. So they are for tracks and we are for streets. You know, that's what it is. Like it's it's more exciting. And then we race in London, Jakarta, um, Rome, so it's it's all over the world. Wow. Yeah, different continents. That's really cool. Well, yeah. I'm going traveling later this year, so I will have to try and find yeah. the time to, to line yeah. up with it. But even hearing that, like you know, 63 overtakes in Monaco, that is just unheard of. Because I, yeah. I watched Monaco last year or the year before, and I think um, uh, someone won it from start to finish. It might have been Perez, I yeah. think, who who won it. Um, but like someone tried overtaking once and they crashed, and that was mm-hmm. it. And I remember learning about the whole. History of Monaco is it's impossible to overtake. Yeah. So you just kind of lock just yourself get on in. pole and you win. So you watch our race, 6th of May. It's going to be on Stan, uh, you know, so watch it. Highlights on, uh, I think, uh, what is the nine platform, which is linear? Um, Gems? Nine. Um... Anyway, it's a linear channel, but the highlights are the next day. Or you can follow it on our app. Seriously, watch the Monaco race. Yeah. Or come for it, actually, on your travels. Just come for it, 6th May. Yeah. Yeah. Lock oh, it in. I won't be over there by then, but um, we'll find another one. Don't worry. <laughs> um, what's the best part about working for Formula E? I think sometimes, you know, uh, for us who work in sport, we take it for granted the places we get to travel to and the people you meet. And I think with Formula E, although like, you know, I came back from London. When did I come back? And now this Sunday I travel to the US, but it's not for a race. It's for we're starting a new media rights cycle. So, you know, meeting broadcasters. I think the coolest thing for me is actually um, the places you get to travel to, but also, honestly, a Formula E paddock. Like the drivers that if I get a chance to speak to them, I mean, I've met a lot of athletes in my life. They are some of the smartest people. And that's another difference. I feel like they are, they are not in Formula E because they can buy seats. You know, many other big motorsports, you can buy your seats. They are there because they are some of the best drivers, but they're also there because they care about what Formula E's purpose is. So they are clever people because Formula is about strategy and stuff. So even, in, and you know, I go to the paddock, there are these girls who are engineers and I just love it, you know, like the diversity of the paddock and diversity come, can come from different things, right? How you think, uh, it's not just about the color of the skin, right? It's your life experiences. My husband and I, uh, my husband is from UK. He's a white guy. I'm a brown woman, but our life journeys have been similar. So yes, we are diverse in the color, but actually... Yes, there's diversity of cultures, but thinking is similar. So I think people sometimes overemphasize diversity is only about the skin color, but it's actually about the experiences you've had in life, where you've come from, culture, etc. And I find not that cricket is not diverse, but I just feel it's opened my eyes, you know, what the world has to offer in terms of, um, 
you know, the whole sustainability movement, so to speak, you know, in cricket, it's slow. And I've tried to talk to some people saying, hey, in cricket, let's do sustainability. And then you come to India and they're like, we're trying to solve a hunger issue here, you know, like, but the climate thing is huge. There was an earthquake in Delhi three days ago, you know, it's raining, it's unseasonal. This is going to change the world. So for me, that is actually the coolest thing. It's like meeting these people, learning so much more where I was like in my siloed world of cricket. And we all live in our own silos, right? Like, you know, it's like your bubble and maybe motorsports is a bubble as well. But I think it, it's opened my eyes to the rest of the world, you know, and seeing what big problems there are to solve in the world and how we should be using sport because it's a most powerful tool. Nothing gets audiences like live sports. And, you know, all broadcasters have discovered this. Imagine if they use like one-tenth or one-twentieth of their time to talk about things that matter. It could drive change in the world, right? Make people more aware. So for me, that is, uh, it's a fun part as well, like the travel. But there's also like, uh, you know, this part which is at 45, I feel like I'm still learning, which is so cool. That's amazing. Nice. That's so cool to hear. Um, let's dive into your job. We're keen to understand what a uh, chief media officer actually does. Could you explain a bit about what you're doing at the moment? Yes. It sounds like, sounds like a police chief or something. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> I had a similar role at ICC. Um, it was called Head of Media. It was a long uh, title, Head of Media Rights Broadcast and Digital. And my role at Formula E is similar. So ICC, I was there for 12 years, but it evolved. It was media rights. Then, because I joined in 2007, there was no digital then, you know, and then people started calling it new media. So it was media rights. Then I got production in-house, all the TV production in-house content creation, and then digital in 2013 or whatever started in ICC. Um, at Formula E, it's like similar. So I look after all the broadcast deals, you know, uh, media rights deals. I look after all the content production, be it for social, digital, long form, originals, live. I look after all the social channels, web, uh, also owned, operated. Gaming sits under me, which was all new to me. I have a gaming director who is like, I, when he talks to me, I have to like Google and search terms and like, okay, whatever. But again, I'm learning so much. And I sort of like business insights and technology sort of intersects as well very closely, you know. So um, that's my function. I mean, if you put it in a short way, it's creating content and experiences for fans that bring grow audiences and fans uh, to the sport, make them aware. So that in a nutshell is, is my role. There is a revenue side to it. But as I said, like, I think the fan growth for young sports is far more critical because the revenue is a long-term play. You know, profitability is a long-term play. It's not like tier one sport. Um, I'll give you an example. When I was at the ICC, if I did a deal, say with Fox, okay, Fox Sports did a deal for cricket, I didn't have to worry about whether Fox is going to put me on their number one channel or at the end. They would put me on the number one channel. They paid decent rights fee. They wanted advertising income. In Formula E, when I go and talk to them, I have to force, I mean, not force, you know, it has to be contracted. You are going to put us on at this time because we are not a tier one sport, right? So there are different challenges. And honestly, I'm enjoying it because I think in tier one sports, when I say football, cricket, whatever, um, sometimes you could be a bit lazy because you don't have to work that hard because you have this huge fan base that you can, you know, like, and people, look, all sports talk about, we want to attract younger audiences, new markets, but hand on heart, how many of them are actually doing that? Like, you know, like, you know, actually growing the sport, taking the sport to new places. In Formula E, we have no choice. We are a, we are a profit-led organization, not like ICC, which was not for profit or FIFA, not for profit, right? Like, so we have to actually work harder uh, to actually deliver to our investors and, you know, that means growing more fans, audiences, finding the markets, finding the fans. It's basically building a fan base from scratch. And older sports like cricket or even Formula One, which is 73 years old, don't have that problem. They have that existing fan base. They just have to build on it. But it's not like creating a whole new thing. So I compare it to women's cricket a lot because I think it's, it's in the same genre as motorsport. Women's cricket was in the same genre as cricket. And I remember when we started talking and, um, you know, women's committee, there's to be Belinda Clark and uh, Claire Connor and all. We used to all say that, let's not try to copy what men's cricket did. You almost have to position it as a different product, you know, for fans to be attracted. Yes, there will be an overlap between fans, 
But if you try to copy, you're just, you are actually doing a really bad job for the sport because it has more to offer than just being another version of men's cricket. You know, it has to be positioned as its own identity. So I somehow hate this comparison. For example, is it really important at the start? I remember I used to tell my TV guys to put bowler speeds because then instantly that's a point of comparison, right? Like focus on the skills and things that women's cricketers. I just remember this great moment. It was the 2016 T20 or 2014 in Bangladesh. India had lost to Sri Lanka. And um, I remember going for breakfast and Virat was there. And I've known Virat since he was under 19. And there was the England women's team sitting over there. And he went up to the keeper and he said, you know, there was a shot that you play. I just want to learn this from you because I've never seen it men's cricket. Like, I wish I had some, like, camera to get that capture. So what I'm saying is women's cricket is different. Similarly, formula is different to Formula One. If we try to actually compare and try to build a sport that's competing, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not a zero-sum game. You know, fans can be Formula One fans, Formula E fans, fans can be men's cricket, women's cricket. So I think it's really important that, you know, when people start thinking about this, they think about it not in a way that's lazy. Let's just create a replica, positioning it as different products. Sorry, again, I went, I digressed a lot. No, no, that, no, was, that was You need to bring me back, right? Like, that's your job saying, stop it, come back. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's been fascinating just listening to you to talk. Totally. Um, um, this is all awesome, by the way. But so when you're looking at um, being a chief um, uh, media officer and you're trying to set the department goals and lead in direction, what are, what are those at the moment? What are the goals for your department? I think the biggest one, as I said, is like audience growth. And I, I say audience versus fan because audience is known fans, I would say, you know, because, you know, and fans is like could be new fans, etc. We have an amazing business insights team. I've never seen a team like that in uh, sports uh, or at least in cricket. And like they work, there's a lot of research that goes into it about, you know, so we have, we typically have motorsports fans that follow us, but we have a large number that identify themselves as Formula E fans, but are not motorsports fans. For me, that group is really exciting. We generally have younger fans and more. So I think the goals for the department are create really cool content, like that resonates with the fans and just smash it out of the park. Like, you know, whatever, try new things. You know, we are a young sport. We are not uh, bound by the shackles of traditional sports, you know, so we can try new things. And I always tell, just try, it doesn't matter if it fails, we'll move on. You know, it's not like we have millions and millions of fans to lose. Like, yes, we have about 187 million fans and whatever. But, you know, people come to us also because we are the cool sport and we have to actually talk to the younger audience, right? We have to talk to the younger audience. I don't care for 80-year-old guy who's a motorsport fan says, I don't like Formula E because the cars are not making sound. That's not the target audience. I can't cater for everybody. And this is where sometimes sports go wrong. They have to be true to their purpose. You have to be authentic to your messaging. Your brand has to speak to the audience you're targeting. You can't try to be a sport for all. I mean, maybe football can, right? It's generational. Maybe cricket Mm. at times can. But I think when you're launching a product, you have to be very specific about your target audience and where you want to go. So Mm. that's the thing. Like, try things, but move fast. I think... Yeah, you just have to move fast in Formula. You can't sit still. You just have to try new things. There's a lot of pressure, mm. uh, profitability pressure, fan growth pressure. And it's just, it's a fun place to work. It's amazing. Just on the, the profitability side, because it's really interesting hearing how you guys are like a private sport mm. with investors that have um, created this sport. Um, out of interest, like how much investment went into creating Formula E and, and how does that different structuring change things for you? Yeah, I mean, I won't talk about the numbers because I'm not sure, uh, you know, my paycheck allows me. It's probably talking about uh, whatever. But basically, um, <laughs> we have this guy who's the founder of Formula E. If you research him, Alejandro Agag, he's like a visionary, right? He started Formula E and the story goes, I can send you a clip, uh, BBC did a series in us and was basically at the back of a napkin in in this restaurant in Paris with the then FIA president uh, Jean Todd and he signed the license for 25 year license for a single single seater electric uh, uh, world series right 
And that's how it started. And I've heard stories how there were times when they couldn't pay suppliers within three years. You know, they were like literally in a, uh, in, in a race. I don't know whether it was LA or China somewhere where it was like they didn't know. And suddenly investment came in from Liberty and Discovery. You know, our, some of our lead shareholders are Liberty Global, uh, not Liberty Media. Liberty Media own um, Formula One. So like same parent company, but we are Liberty Global and we have Warner Brothers Discovery as our lead shareholders. You know, two big media giants, their own thing. And they came in because they saw potential and it's grown a lot since then. I think they came in in year three and we are in year nine now. But I just think like um, the investment required is also like a vision and you have to believe like it's a startup. You know, we are a startup, which is why I say like you can't just sit pretty and you need people who are equally fired up as you are. And you guys would know this, right? Like you've set up your own thing. Mm. It is, it is a lot of hard work. So you need people, not employees. You need people who buy into that vision and are finding ways to do it. Like I may go to the US at the end of this week and say, I may look at traditional broadcasters. And you know, at the end of it, maybe they're paying money. But maybe the route to growing fans is through another broadcaster where money doesn't come in, but actually promises something in a longer term. So, you know, you just... But as a traditional sport, you would still chase the traditional broadcaster because that's how you're set up. You know, you're set up to bring in revenue all the time. So I just think um, to answer your question, how do you get investors into it? I think our founder was so good at selling the dream of Formula E, the purpose. The purpose was such an important thing. So, you know, our sport is very different to other sports in the sense uh, most traditional sports have media rights revenues as the biggest spot. We have partnership revenues as the biggest spot. So partners believed in our purpose, you know, and that is becoming so important for sponsors. So I think whatever you start, my advice is, I know this is sport, whatever you start, know why you're starting it and what is a problem in society you're trying to solve with that. That is the biggest thing. Don't just start something because it's cool. It's like, you know, like somebody would have made this napkin, right? Like they were trying to solve a problem. Right. I mean, I was talking to my husband the other day, the cocktail stick. Somebody must have come up with that idea. Right. And must be making millions now. But it was solving a problem of maybe holding the fruits or something in a cocktail. So anything you do, first of all, believe in it 100 percent. Don't just get into it for the sake of money making. Yes, that's the objective. But you have to believe in it and it has to solve a problem in today's day and age. You know, otherwise, I don't know how you sort of grow and scale a business without that mm. purpose. A lot of the steps that you were detailing then sound exactly like what we've been through in trying to start this business. So it's it's really interesting comparing how the fundamentals are the same, but the uh, scale is widely or wildly different. <laughs> oh, great. I mean, I also really? think about like, you know, I'm 45. Um, I want to do something of my own. And it's funny, my daughter's age, she's like, I'm just going to run my own business. I'm like, I wish I had that. And, you know, I admire like my team is mostly younger than me, you know. I love spending time with them because I get energized with their fearlessness and their risk-taking ability, which I think I'm sort of like better than my peers in terms like... And I do think like, I think the time, because I want to do something with women's sport, which is not just philanthropic, which is actually revenue-driven because I want to show the world that it means business, right? It can get ratings and whatever. But I need to think about it, you know, be disciplined, write about it, you know, like, how do you... Um, but I think that this generation is amazing. It is amazing. It took me a while to understand because I was like, I'd be at work till midnight or 1 a.m. doing this. But they are like very much like, okay, we are going to do this. Then we'll go out and do this. This is one of my regrets in life, um, which is about like, if I were to look back, I don't think all I did was study, study, work, work, work. I knew nothing beyond that. Like I didn't develop a hobby. You know, I didn't have time for sport as much. Like in school, I played basketball and volleyball. But I wish I'd done more. And when I look at my daughter, like I was thinking maybe I'll take piano lessons. Like I don't know how to swim. I took some swimming lessons. You know, at this stage in my life, I wish I'd done more when I was younger and not just... But then, you know, I also see like I worked hard. So I get where you like... You're always it's it's a trade off in life, right? Yeah. Like so. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, for, for anybody out there who wants to be a chief media officer, it does sound a bit like a police officer, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, what are the three key skills that you, that you think you need uh, to understand? I mean, if you don't mind, I'll just broaden it. Anybody who wants to get into a leadership position, because you know, um, 
it's it's at that level you're chief media officer but your job is a leader of the company right you're not only yes you're looking at your own thing but it is about overall growth of the company and the organization i mean one of the biggest things is curiosity and listening you know i just like and this may sound cliche what i'm going to talk about but it is not on un- financial understanding yes those things ha- help right how how to read balance sheets and you know how to build a business and revenue i think the finance bit helps but i just think listening and curiosity because sometimes we go into meetings and we don't listen enough you know we don't listen to the problems and how you can solve uh, i think that is that is really critical the second thing is as when you become a leader and i guess this is after you become but even right through is like how do you manage people i think that's really important like i've realized that i don't know how many people are in my team now maybe 30 or something but i've realized that actually people management is the toughest thing you know it's like you deal with different emotions you deal with different cultures different ambitions like my thing is you generally think when you're younger why isn't everybody like me you know everybody should be driven work out but you have a players b players whatever you know people like to term them but you have to understand what drives each person and set their goals accordingly because ultimately it's your team that's going to build your business you alone can't do it like you know your job is to i wouldn't even say offer solutions is to provide the right guidance about how to get to their goals right it's not about actually taking over and for me i think the other thing is delegation you know it sort of comes flows from this like i learned delegation very late in life i was like a control freak i wanted to do everything on my own like you know like this and what happened then is that my team in my early years even when i was at the icc was like she's going to do it all like you know what's the point of us even putting effort in so i think delegation trusting your team to be able to do that even from a young age the teamwork that you build around because you can't grow without other people actually advocating for you as well right like you you won't grow and i realized this that throughout my life in my early years i wish i had done better not like authentically i had really good relations with my seniors and my juniors but my peers was always an issue for me in all my 360 reviews you know my peers i wasn't very popular with my peers you know i guess they found me like very ambitious like you know like whatever but i realized that actually they are so important and which is okay like you know everybody has a journey it's not like when i'm 21 i'm like oh this is going to be but i think my <laughs> advice would be is like teamwork is important and i it depends culture to culture i know in some teams you just have to show your bosses you're doing the work and whatever but i think when you take people along on the journey you rise as well you know everybody rises so i think ultimately that will stand you a good leader manages people well you know doesn't focus on individual uh, individual laurels and growths it's teamwork you know and i think those things and listening empathy all these things i mean empathy is sort of underrated nowadays but uh, honestly i don't know how it happens and it shouldn't happen i see so many leaders in sport who shouldn't be there like honestly like they may be the smartest people in the room but their job is not to be the smartest person in their room their job is to lead the team and they don't know how to do it like because they don't have that eq you know and empathy and uh, unfortunately generally i've seen unfortunately fortunately the trend is that largely the women leaders i've come across have this and maybe it's because very few come into this you know so they have to strive hard uh, but to be fair i have a lot of male friends who are like that as well but obviously there's less women leaders so you know the sample size is smaller so maybe that's why but i think it's really important that you take people along with you understand where they want to go etc um, and you can still be ambitious and feisty and do all those things mm. yeah you're right that that leadership piece is just an entirely new skill that uh you know isn't best suited to everybody even if they are the best player in, in mm. the team sometimes some people are just better off being a specialist you're absolutely right um it it's amazing hearing your passion like it's very clear that you love what you're doing and you're very passionate about this this space like the energy is just amazing um i wanted to dig into um women's empowerment and growing diversity in sports and uh what are some of the things that formula e are doing to drive this you know i mean i and i you generally think sport in general is a male dominated environment and look it's changing like uh, don't get me wrong and it is changing 
I thought that motorsport generally will be like more male dominated because it is about cars driving fast cars and it is about men driving those cars, you know, so it's a lot of testosterone, you would say, but, but the point (laughs) is that I, when I actually go there in Formula E, even within our organization, I see female leaders that unfortunately I didn't see many in cricket for whatever reason, you know, like maybe, uh, or the cricket that I dealt with, right? Like, I think in Australia does pretty well. Like, Steph is one of my, not, actually, she's a better friend of my husband because Brian worked at Australia. But, like, I know Steph, like, you know, she's in one of the top positions. Um, but I think generally, I didn't find that level at the senior level. There were a lot of women. So, if you did a split 50 50, but there would be PAs, there would be admin, and I'm saying there's nothing wrong with that administrative staff, but the split wasn't right. In Formula E, like our sustainability director, which is a huge role, she's a woman. Our sporting director now, or senior sporting, she's a woman. Like she's running the races, right? Like critical position. And um, I just feel like consciously you have to make an effort to first of all hire. I'm not saying you should hire the best people, by the way. This is not about a quota system, right? But then you have to make policies and those policies have to be implemented in such a way you retain uh, women as well. I spoke earlier this morning to one of my colleagues from 22 years ago. She's gone into education. We were five or six women covering sports. I'm the only one left now. They've all married, stopped working. Somebody's gone into something. It was too hard to continue because there weren't policies or support systems. Because I think nowadays recruitment is still a problem. But I think the bigger problem is the drop off, the retention of women, you know, and I think that organizations rather than just write policy, six months maternity policy, that's I'm sorry, it doesn't work. You are you actually enabling that person to take that six months off and come back to work in the same like I when I I mean, ICC was 45, went up three months by the time, but I came back at two months. Because I'm not saying there was anything wrong. They never had this point where at a leadership position a woman was, you know, she'd gone on maternity. It was bang in the middle of the World Cup. Like, I didn't really enjoy being a mother, to be fair, the first year. Because I was just like working nonstop. There was nothing for the... And it was probably a bit my character as well. You know, I just wanted to get back into it. But everybody should be given a choice, you know. And right now, I think those choices are hard because the policies are created to look good. On Women's Day, you'll see a lot of announcements, right? Like, we're doing this, we're doing that, and then it dies out. Like, there are a lot of programs started. We'll bring women into this, but you really have to walk the talk. And you can see the organizations that walk the talk. They don't have to scream out loud, you know. They, they do work silently, and it comes through right through the year. And I think Formula E is one of those organizations where I feel it is harder to recruit women in motorsport, but the mix is so good. And... I have never felt so welcome in an organization, in all honesty, like I have felt at Formula E. I've never felt I'm a woman and an outsider, you know, because obviously I come from India, like whatever. I've not felt, I've, they welcomed me and it's, it's amazing. I've really enjoyed working in that cultural environment. Amazing. Sounds like because it's such a new organization, it's, it's mm. been able to be formed in, in the right kind of way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hope so. And I just hope... You know, that and to be fair, like our CEO, like Jamie, he's amazing. Like, it's not about, you know, he'll never question today, are you working or not working? It's about doing the work. And that's what it should be. I tell my team, like, honestly, I don't care how many days you take off. You take like 40, 50 days off if you want. But the work needs, to, you know, it's according to you, flexible. If you can't do something, whatever. And I think that's the future. Organizations who are trying to still stick to, And I know this work from home, all these things happen. And I agree there is a lot of value in FaceTime, right? Like ideas, generation, etc. But ultimately, the person has to thrive in the role they're doing. And either they'll thrive or they won't, right? Like either they are into it and they'll do the work or they won't. You can introduce a nine to five, all these things. It doesn't work, right? And so you have to see where the generation is going. Uh, it's a bit like, you know, if you have to grow your fans, you have to follow the fans. Don't make the fans say, this is the platform, you come to us. You know, you go to the platform, Sarah. Similarly for the generation we are hiring and we are working in sport, you need to actually suit their needs rather than make sure they conform to your needs. And this is where traditional organizations, I think, need to actually wake up and see that are they attracting the best talent because of their policies and retention rates as well. No, I love it. It's brilliant. 
Second last question for you, Artie. Uh, if you could swap roles with anyone at Formula E for a day, who would it be and why? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's a good question. Uh, I think I would swap the role uh, with the receptionist, the office manager. <laughs> no, seriously, like... Nice. Uh, because I'll tell you why, you know, when I was a young girl, um, so I'm the first woman in my family to be working. You know, I come from very traditional, like uh, not a family, but the area. But my dad was very much like, you know, go out there, financial independence important. And I think the only dream when I had, when I, I used to daydream this, by the way, when I was a young girl was like, I'm actually working. And my dream was actually sitting at the reception at an office and managing that, right? You know, and I mean, I didn't, I didn't know whatever chief. So I think I sometimes look at the receptionist role and I think, you know, you can even excel in that role. It's not to be looked down upon. And I often, when I look at receptionists, I think, okay, how would I do this role? Like, how would I play this out? Like an office manager or whatever. So maybe that's what I'll do. I'll swap to be a receptionist, which is my dream and see how I perform in that role. Yeah. Apparently, the receptionist role, I don't remember who I was talking this about, but that's an incredible opportunity to meet an incredible amount of people. Like, you've got an opportunity to say hi to so many people in your organization, but also people who are visiting or, or whatever. So, you know, people might, you know, look down on that position, but it, like, it's absolutely not. Like, mm. it's, a, it's an incredible position to start with because imagine the doors that it can open for you. Oh, you yeah. got more touch points to anyone in the business than, yeah. than anyone. 100%. And you're sort of the face of the business in some ways, you know, for anybody who's coming in and whatever. So, no, I mean, I yeah. think... And it's not like I feel like the pressure would be less because it would come with its own pressures. But I think about how will I drive that efficiently? You know, I think about things, you know, when I'm seeing, I'm like, okay, how would I have done that? So, yeah, that's one role I would like to do for a day. Nice. Love it. Uh, finally, Artie, if you could leave a note on the desk of a uni student with one piece of advice for them to help them become an executive in sport, what would that note say? I think that note would say is like, uh, I, I mean, obviously, it can't be a very big note. I generally talk much, so I have to like my my daughter also says, "You've written too much on my birthday card. I can't read it now." You know, like. Uh, but I think the note would say is like uh, the three things that are really important. I think is self confidence. You know, communication, which is really important, and just the conviction that you can do it. Like, so use these three tools, and then reach out to people there are people that they're there to willing I mean I wrote when I was in uni I wrote a note to Tony Craig because I wanted to work and he actually wrote back to me which for me actually shaped the way I am and I think I'm still not as good when people write to me they ask about opportunities I try to find time to guide them and sometimes these opportunities lead to a job you know we've had a couple of um, girls I help with they managed to join journalism because I put them in touch with it's it's not because I think just be shameless and contact people and learn from them experiences and I think you'll be surprised people will be surprised that it's an open industry people want to help each other you know like I'm on this uh, whatsapp group called the unofficial partner which is a podcast you know and there everybody's there like asking for help and they're all senior execs in the industry largely UK based some US but, you know, they're running, learn, uh, running diversity programs, etc. But I think if you have the confidence, you know, self-confidence, the conviction that, you know, this is what you want to do, and then you communicate well, then you can get anywhere in life. So I'm saying the three C's because I think it's easy to remember things like this, you know, the three C's and like three A's or three B's. So I've just come mm, up with three yeah. C's now. Nice. nice. An arty original. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, Artie, it's been absolutely amazing speaking to you today. And I think there's so much to take away from what, what, you've, what you've said. And we love the depth that you've gone into as well. It's, uh, it's absolutely amazing hearing all about Formula E, but also your, your journey from living in India to now in Dubai, absolutely killing it. So we really appreciate your time and uh, good luck for the rest of the Formula E season. And you might, might see Rubes at a race later this year. Um, we'll have to send him out on uh, a little, little mission just to see what it's all about over there. 100%. I can line up some podcasts for you. We've got some amazing, amazing people with amazing stories. So, 100%. Yeah. Oh, if we can do them in person, even better. So I'll, I'll try and dig up the schedule. Okay. A roaming podcast. Brilliant. <laughs>
No, I, I really enjoyed this because it was a conversation and it wasn't like, you know, one of those podcasts where I have to like prepare a lot. I did prepare. <laughs> well, it's just your own life. So it should all be inside there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Absolutely loved it. Keep doing what you do. It's been great. Guys, it's time now for the People's Segment, Ask Sports Grad, where every week we answer a question from our community. If you'd like to ask a question, first become a Sports Grad member at sportsgrad.com.au slash community to join. And then just pop your question in the channel called Ask Sports Grad on Discord. It's super, super easy, so get involved. Rubes, this question this week comes from Loic, and he says... When is it a good time to update our LinkedIn network after getting a new job? Is it once it's official, although we may have not started it yet, or once you've started the new job officially? Great question. Great question because, you know, as soon as you get a new job, you want to tell the whole world. Oh, yeah. It's super exciting. It's, it's on the list of to-dos. Yeah. It's updating the LinkedIn. Absolutely. And I said at the top of the episode, we're quite lucky. People tell us very early. Uh, and people often jump into the the wins channel of the community as well to update mm. them as well. But that's kind of like a little inner sanctum. You know, you, you're with your friends. It's a safe space. Yep. People, you know, you can share your wins in there. But LinkedIn, you kind of want to wait till it's a bit more official. Yeah. So I would recommend waiting till you've started your first day because yep. you never know what might happen between yeah. being told you've got the job <laughs> and starting your first day. So to avoid any sort of embarrassment... And I think also just to keep the organization happy, mm. you know, just wait till you start your first day. I think that's probably the yep. appropriate time to come out on LinkedIn and say, I've got a new job. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. You don't want to go too early. Don't mm. count the ki- Don't count the chickens. Is that what it, that's yeah, yep. what the saying is? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. First day, I reckon. It's also kind of a, you know, I've had my first day and then your actual colleagues at the organization can see that you've joined as well. It's mm. kind of like a... A start of a new new journey, I suppose. So don't go too early. Yeah, that's true. Well, like if you post, say, three weeks before you actually start, some people might see your post and be like, oh, we've got a person joining our organization. Yeah. But they might forget that because mm. they don't see you until three weeks until you actually start. So yeah. it could actually create some good sort of association be like, oh, I saw your post on Monday. This is that person. Let's have a chat. Now yeah. I know who you are and why you're here. Totally. Totally. Good question. I, I love those ones. Little intricate yeah. details of the do's and don'ts yeah. of, uh, of the sports industry. Well, so. good one for Loic because he has just got a job up at Unisport Australia, our good friends, uh, where I did an internship back in the day. So great mm. place to be involved, Loic. You're doing doing fabulous work. Brilliant. We'll uh, keep the questions coming. And if, you, if you'd like to ask us a question, as I mentioned before, uh, sign up to become a sports grad member. And each week we jump on a Q&A. Basically, where you can ask any question you like. It's an open floor to ask us or industry professionals those questions that you might have. So lots coming up. As he said, Clayton coming up, which is massive, uh, which is going to be good fun about, you know, how someone has grown and essentially built their career from scratch and now full-time at Golf Australia. So very, very exciting. Uh, for those interested, all those Q&As are recorded. So if you're a member, you can get access to every Q&A we've ever done. Uh, you can rewatch it if you can't make the session. So it's a great, great little tool for you to use if you're looking to get in the sports industry. Anyway, find us on LinkedIn. Give us some love with a rating. If you enjoy the show, subscribe on Apple and follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey, guys, one last thing before you go. If you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday on all the latest job openings, networking events, Q&As with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes, then subscribe to the SportsGrad newsletter. Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join. 